Hit the lights. You've discovered the Half Watt Podcast. We want to educate and entertain by tapping into the most trusted source of new technology, the ones installing and innovating it. You, the tradespeople that build from the ground up. Join us as we talk with industry leaders, veteran contractors, and even some young blood. Welcome aboard. I'm your host, Mike Brooks. I'm happy to have you here. Today, we're interviewing Mr. Sean Martin, who is a PM with Performance Systems Integration here in Portland. Welcome aboard, Sean. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, This is uh, quite the experience. Good. I'm glad you like it. So tell me about project management, just, uh, just the, the thousand foot level, because, mm-hmm. uh, this is, this is your genre, you know, and, and, and full disclosure, uh, Sean is also a nice at level four in fire alarm. So he, he is a technician and, uh, you know, turn project manager. So you, you kind of come up through the ranks. So tell me about project management. What does it what does it mean to you? Well, so, so project management is is in a nutshell kind of making sure you're doing what was purchased, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a component of doing it right, but it's the the real yeoman's work, if you will, is taking what the sales guy sold mm-hmm. that you should participate in, and and itemize, you know, setting it all out with a schedule and dialing in the right people from the right areas of the business to execute the work and make sure they don't go off script. So the sales guy sells a thing, you take it to a designer, he formally publishes a design on Mm -hmm. a schedule, you make sure that the material budget or the material list you have jives with what the sales guy sold, they're not wildly out, and if you are, you figure out why and fix it. Mm -hmm. And then it comes down to scheduling, and you need to have the talent, right? The, mm-hmm. the licensed technician, the certified technician, whatever, that you can sit down with them and go, here's what you're going to go do. Okay. Here are the parts. Here are the drawings. Here's the day you need to be there. Or this is, you know, you can call the site and fit it in your schedule. And then when it's all done, let me know. And you have mm-hmm. to check in with all these various peoples. And, um, and, 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 you know, get the final, get the inspection, get, get to whoever needs to come in, in, in low voltage, sometimes, yeah, there's an electrical inspection. Sometimes there's a fire inspection. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a third-party inspection. Sometimes just an owner approval. Yeah, is, is there is there usually a commissioning agent involved in a lot of the? I, I know that in the smaller job, probably not, but in the large, I mean, you no, you you project manage some pretty so, good size. So when you're doing places. controls, uh-huh. HVAC controls, they usually have a third-party commissioning um, engineering team that comes through and does whatever checks they want to do to make sure your FMS code. What, your, is, what is FMS? Uh, fil, um, facility management system, okay. your thing that turn the fans on and off, mm-hmm. heat and cool, move dampers. Um, they make sure that all those functions are done per a testing script. If you're going to do a smoke control system, mm-hmm. which is like a f- uh, fa- facility management system that's designed specifically with the life safety compartment in mind, then then that is is a third-party knowledgeable individual that's code and is looking at the parts of the building code that have to be honored, the survivability, the functional sequence, and all this stuff, and when it goes into trouble, how it reports it. And then when you get into, like, your um, access control or VMS world, a lot of time the, the final buy-off is the end user. 
does it behave the way I want it, right? They write specs all day, but mm -hmm. there's no spec for programming timing and, and, and whatnot when it comes to, you know, an access control system, a small box one. You can, you'll find it in the bigger facilities. You get through all those approvals mm -hmm. and each step along the way, you set up little, little milestones, little flags in your schedule right. where you can progressively bill for the money. And oh, then at okay. the end of it, at the end of it, when you've collected all the money, except for a little bit of that, and then you, you write out a few more documents to close the job that, you know, issue a warranty for the work we've done, guaranteeing our work for a set period of time and, and give the, what we actually ended up doing because a designer can put something out there, but the tech gets there and someone puts something in the way. Mm -hmm. And it's just better to move the, the device a few feet and mark up the drawings. And so you get so, over, but, but that would be like a change order then you would, and you would be the person in charge of handling correct. all of the change orders and the yeah. billing and the, yeah. So in, well, not directly, but in, in that, in that entire line of little flags and process, mm -hmm. if there's a change in what was sold, mm -hmm. what was purchased by the client, then there's a whole aspect of change management. And depending on where you're at in that process, start to finish, mm -hmm. That change could be very minor. Okay, so so then so then you need to be able to read and interpret contract language. Yes. So that so that you're so there's a legal aspect to it that you have yeah. to be able to, to yeah. interpret. A contract is really what you have to honor when things go wrong, when there's a dispute. There's okay. a whole terms and conditions of it. Yeah, they put the hey, this scope of work for this much money in the contract, but then what follows mm -hmm. is Four to, it can be four to five pages of terms and conditions and insurance requirements and how much with it can use something called retention where if I if, if I hire you to do a, a thousand dollar job mm -hmm. in in certain states you can that number can be variable um, but but in Oregon it's five percent meaning um, if I hire you to do a thousand dollar job you can bill me a thousand dollars less five percent. And that you're and, retaining. And I hold on to that until I'm completely satisfied and then I give that money up when I'm Completely so, so that's a different than a lien. That is different than a lien. Yeah, lien is physically against the property. Okay. The the physical property. Um, so like um, like when it's when a, an owner disputes it mm -hmm. and a contractor, you know, who's doing the work, they can go issue a lien against the property, meaning there's a judgment that has to be adjudicated by a court mm -hmm. before that owner can sell the property. Okay. So and that, you can't so then, do that to uh, you can't do that to government. Okay, but so 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 we've cut we touched a lot of things. Yeah. So so retention is a part of the contract that that is held back until the client is completely satisfied that yeah. you've accomplished all of what's going on yeah. and you got the entire contract and right. all the conditions plus all the other contractors that you're dealing mm -hmm. with and then depending on the type of system that you're putting together, right. um you know, there can be special processes yeah. and and things involved like that like 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 a like you talked about with an HVAC system that's handling smoke control, then that's a URL right. listed thing, and then you've got to make sure that because mm -hmm. I've been involved in that at a hospital where where we the commissioning agent at this hospital I was working at literally took a bucket of sand mm -hmm. and three smoke flares and lit the thing off in an OR. This is before the building was ready to go, and that was it. And smoke went everywhere, and it went everywhere. It went everywhere. And he looked up and he went, "You're not ready." I'll see you in two weeks and, and walked out. We put the flares, you know, he put the smoke grenades out, walked out. And two weeks later, they were ready. We lit the smoke things off and that's exactly where it stayed was in that room. Yeah. And so it did its job. But it was it was a a uh, it was a real eye opener because there's a couple of buildings like that that where they did that at and the smoke would just go to a certain point and stop. 
Mm-hmm. Like like with the doors open or closed, it didn't matter. The yeah. containment was such that it it didn't. But the first time, man, they we blanketed the the whole building. Yeah. I mean, it was clearly they didn't know what they yeah. were doing. And in the low voltage world, it's very important to distinguish between a designer and an engineer, mm-hmm. right? And even then, you want to distinguish between an engineer and a fire protection or certified fire protection engineer that writes the rational analysis. They're not all the same. Wow. We sit in an area as the half watts that mm-hmm. we know how to make the system work. We know how to to program it, terminate it, test it all out and follow what some high level engineer sat down because the aspects of a building, um, and it's why this is at least in this state unusually under the architect's auspices is when they mm-hmm. lay out the system, they lay out the egress pathways, which okay. is part of your code, code um, summary. They lay out the finishes of the building in a way that you have rated um, emergency exits that follow two hours. They lay out the principles of HVAC and how smoke will propagate okay. in a in a smoke modeling system. Well, so they're and, dealing with stratification, smoke stratification, yes, and layering. They have a model fire. What's likely to catch fire in the space? You know, okay. there's so much energy in that fire. It is may they make a few assumptions and smoke propagates this way, and then they go, "Here's how we protect people getting out of the building." Wow, and they wow. they size so, so even even the stuff that they put like in the like the wall coverings have to, have to be if it's along thought an thought about yeah, and then it has to be inspected through the construction process. Okay, you know, and that's where so don't put any, any well super so, flammable super well, smoke making well, pictures like, on the wall. Well, like uh, something you'll find in fire design because I was a I was a tech who became a designer mm-hmm. who became a PM. So you've done all three of these. Yes, yes, you have to to get a nice set for. You have to do a, a, a difficult Sadly, project. Sadly, I'm design. only a two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are some people that that they um, not all nice at fours are equal. Some of them, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I did a complex job. What did you do? I did a. It was a building with three restaurants in it and hoods. And it's like, okay, that's not simple. But what did you do? Well, I did a million square yeah, foot but it's office not, but building. But it's not Intel, or it's right. not you know. Yeah. It's, Nike it, or something. There are really complex buildings out there. I remember looking at plans for a building a few years ago, and they were going to have what was referred to as a fire service elevator mm-hmm. installed because it was going to be a 45-story building or something. And it was basically, when you say those words, and the mm-hmm. words are key in the code, when you say the words fire service elevator, mm-hmm. you now have an elevator that is to be used by the fire department in emergency for evacuation or other operations because you don't want your your firefighters tiring hauling that gear up 35 floors. So it's not an elevator that goes into fire service mode. It's actually a, a, an elevator that will stay functional during fire. Correct. For them to use. But, so it doesn't really go into a fire service but, mode. But it well it, it likely will, but sometimes they'll have a they'll have a particular mode Those they put it in that it. then runs it. But it that's what it ends up doing, it ends up slapping in a bunch of like firewall ratings around the lobby and all the control wiring. And it's almost like it bolts oh. into the smoke control system in terms of its level of importance. And, you know. Man, I never, I'm, you know, 25, 27 years in the industry or something like that, I've never even knew that existed. Well, I mean, I knew I'm new well, fire service, some, obviously, but Some stuff is new huh. each year, each year. And sadly, every moment mm-hmm. there is a tragedy somewhere, yeah. right? And, and that that has been how codes and standards have come about you go build a go build a house 150 years ago it's some dude with his buds you know they go down to the to the hardware whatever they grab some wire and they pull it in the buildings and they land it because their friend who 
who'd done electrical told them to, right? <laughs> and then you have massive fires in mm. neighborhoods. You have, you know, people who, who, you know, businesses that are less reputable in this country and in many others who block the emergency exits in factories and people get, things happen and people die. And then there's an outpouring and then there's this group of people going, how do we make it safer? Got it. The code committees and those people. So, so the code is built upon the deaths and the dismemberment and maiming. And yeah. I, I kind of have alluded to that in my classes. I said, yeah. you know, this code here is written yeah. upon the deaths of everybody before you. Right. And, and 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 even in like the NEC code where where you've got a, some product that somebody puts out. Oh, man, this is the greatest thing ever. And they put it together and it explodes and causes yeah. mayhem. A photovoltaics are a good example. Yeah. I love photovoltaics. I think that's a great, a yeah. great product. So when photovoltaic first became yeah. something in the NEC, I thought, oh, I'm going to do my continuing ed because I could on that. Yeah. And then uh, I thought, wow, that's, well, I'll see how quickly this article grows. And it you know, doubled the next time, the, the next session, this because last... they had no way to shut them off. So now you've got these acres of photovoltaics mm -hmm. and no off switch except mm -hmm. the sun, which isn't going to turn itself off until it sets. So, <laughs> so now you see all these, you yeah, know, I it's not like you can go last, cover it with tarps. You know, and, 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 you know, in, in Oregon, you know, just to be clear, you know, I'm an ISET 4, which is mm -hmm. a national certification. Oregon doesn't, doesn't recognize it. You have to be a low-voltage limited electrician here to get any traction, even in fire alarm. And so I am required to do my regular CCUs, mm -hmm. you know, and this last go-round, there was a big section on photovoltaic. Yeah. You know, and so it's part of its lessons learned you know, from tragedy, part of it's lessons learned from practicality, and part of it is new technology. Like, when I started in the industry, um, wow. And when did you start in the industry? 2005. Okay. So, in many ways, that's not that long ago, but when I sit down and count the numbers, it feels... It's a long time. Yeah. Um, all the fire alarm systems I ever worked on, they use plain old telephone phone lines, not, mm -hmm. not VoIP, not anything else, the old B1 lines, the yeah. ring and tip, and it was written that you shall have two lines dedicated, yep. Yep. and there was one exception that you, if you couldn't dedicate it, you had to have the ability to seize that line from someone else. Mm -hmm. Not allowed anymore. All right, RJ, RJ31X and all that. Well, you're not allowed to use phone lines as your primary transmission port. I know. It's a dying yeah. technology, and so the code had to be, or the standard had to be updated and amended to allow for other means of transmission. Mm -hmm. And once other means of transmission is coming, it's still being reviewed because a phone line could only shoot so much data. Right. And there had to be something on the other end listening for that data. And it was this account number, which three to four digits, mm -hmm. which they correlated to an address, they on the other end. And then sometimes three or four signals, yeah. alarm, trouble, trouble supervisor, <laughs> and then there were storals. Everything's good now. And I can shove so much data through a radio interface now yeah. that we can send what device went into alarm. They can give full details all the way to the fire department. Nice. You know, we can pull history reports through remote access. And it's just the technology has gone there. And so the refinements that go into 72 and 70, which mm -hmm. are the respectively the protective signal code and the National Electrical Code, and then other standards that have come about as a result. Like there was one I, I got a chance to read, NFPA 760, mm -hmm. was for a special releasing system which used atomized air molecules or water molecules. Oh, I've, I've, seen, I've seen some video on that. Yeah, it was a, it, the Vitalik it, like, Vortex yeah, yeah. system. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't, like it was in a, it you, was in a library. 
yeah. and you could see the system deploy look like steam yeah. and then the guy goes there's no water on, yeah. the, on the walls there's no water on any of the papers and yeah. you can actually and it will and it i mean it knocked the fire out immediately yeah. it was amazing and the guy goes yeah and there's no this is dry water if you can imagine yeah. such a thing so they, they the guy explaining it to me they're the only shop around that did it we had to interface a fire system to it oh, so you actually saw one of these things oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we put it in out at the at the portland airport oh no kidding yeah in one of those new buildings they had some highly sensitive rooms with electronics and people very critical yeah. and they wanted a releasing system and someone talked them into doing that instead of a novak system mm -hmm. and the guy was there and i was like how's all this work he goes well you know you you have these activations you have this stuff and then this happens and it releases a nitrogen into the space. Mm -hmm. And then once it gets down to this pressure, this other valve opens and shoots a slug of water that's a fixed amount down the tube. And then right where the where the heads are, because I'm like a deluge head, there's a little mm -hmm. baffle plate that sits there and oscillates so much, it breaks it apart into just water molecules like a water vapor. And he goes. So, so it was, I, I knew it was the heads that did it, but I didn't know that they, they just, oscillated. They were just sitting there wiggling, vibrating against no it. Kidding. And it was amazing. Like I went and watched some of the, some of their videos on, on, it's on YouTube. You can go see it. It's Valtolic uh, Vortex system. And they were tell, like doing it in like, like a, like a damn energy vaults where they convert all the electricity mm -hmm. to different voltages for transmission. They sent one off in there and the place was dry. He said it won't conduct. Yeah, it won't conduct electricity because it's nitrogen. Yeah. <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no, there's no electrical it displaces, co continuity between well, it the dis molecules. It displaces the oxygen, right, and then it cools. Wow. Right, and so that's where it's it's pulling energy out of the fire. If you ever study yeah. entropy and thermodynamics, right, like it's it's kind of like you know how an AC system works, where you you make it an energy void, and that's how it pulls the heat out of the air. It's nuts. Thermo, what, thermo, oh, thermodynamics. What, what? Wait a minute. So, you, so, what do you know about the? So, so I thought yes. you were a PM. Yeah. So where this come? Where did thermodynamics so, come into this? So full disclosure, Portland native. <laughs> I was. I, I grew up in the north end of town, mm -hmm. um, and uh, there wasn't a lot of money to go around. It was the 80s and the 90s, and uh, I apparently scored, and they apparently published it decent on my SATs as a junior. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so I got, I got like a, I mean, it's, it's not, it doesn't seem decent to me when 1600 is the win and no. I only get a 1210, but I'm like in the fall of my junior year. <laughs> you're in like fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and I got approached by the, by the, by the, the Navy, the military, and, uh, they wanted to chat and I didn't have any plan for college. I was a, I was a, you know, not very skilled musician. I didn't have the time to practice. I was working and I, uh, I said, sure, I'll come talk. And they gave me a sample test. I knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. I said, well, would you be interested in learning more? You could do pretty much any job there is. And I went and I sat for the, basically the the aptitude test they have. They have mm -hmm. a fancy name for it called that. It's an acronym, ASVAB. ASVAB yeah. And I got- um, I have a story on that too. <laughs> I got a, a 91. Nice. Out of like 99. Mm -hmm. And- the the guy there is picking jobs. He goes, well, I got this job, this job, and I and I was like, right, I'll do that, you know, aircraft electronic technician. And uh, Google did the paperwork, signed it, all that, and then uh, went back and chatted with the recruiter who had taken me there, and he goes, 
hey, would you be interested in a different career? And I'm like, well, because we did so well, you would qualify for this other additional field. It's it's a quick test. It was, you know, 80 questions or something. I'd have to make an appointment. And if you pass and you want to do it, the, the time to tell whoever we're, we're meeting is then. Hmm. You know, like don't stew on it, right? It's a typical recruiter, you know. Yeah. Make the decision yeah. and go. Quick, quick, make, quick. Make, make, those, a make, make, that, make a life-altering decision as a minor. <laughs> Sign up for eight years <laughs> now, man. Yeah, and and I went and I passed, and the job was to be uh, to work in nuclear power. Oh wow! Nuclear propulsion, actually, for the Navy. And um, so, as in, you were an, an EM, and yeah, a, so. Electrician's made, right? So, so they just have you as nuke general until you actually go to boot camp, and then the needs of the Navy take over, and you're I did either, not know that. either a seaman recruit. So you, you couldn't or choose mechanical versus electronic no. versus electrical. But you can put in your wish list, <laughs> and I chose ET, and I ended up being an EM. Thank goodness I did, because hmm. um, um, and in and, and there they. So for everybody who's listening, an ET is electronics technician, and then an EM is electrician's mate. Right. And the MM is a machinist mate. Right. And so um, what followed after boot camp was a grueling two-year training. Um, those, it's very modified. It's very military-specific, meaning they teach you what they need you to know. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like going to a college where you get a well-rounded experience. They itemize out exactly what they need you to have. They give you the list. And everything you learn is in service to that list. They call wow. them guide objectives. But it, it was it was be be in your seat seven a.m. in uniform. Mm-hmm. You're done with the instructor portion at four forty-five, and you have fifty-minute sessions, ten-minute breaks, and then a half hour for lunch. And then you have to come back and study three to five hours in that same room, the material that evening. Wow! You do that five days a week. Wow! And you log your yeah, hours. Yeah, that's a much that's much and, much much more intense than I went through. And and. And that was, we were we would we would go to school all day and then drink most of the night. Yeah. It was a whole different. It was a whole different. Yeah. It was a whole different protocol. No, there was <laughs> it was it was you had a minimum. Of, they started with like fifteen hours of study and that a week mm-hmm. minimum two hours a night. Yeah, I because I, I, I when I when I went to boot camp it was in Orlando and yeah. so NPS the beginning of NPS school was there. Yeah. And I saw a bunch of the nukes that went to that school, but I didn't know anything about it. Like I, yeah. I had no idea. I knew that I knew obviously knew what they were going to do, right. but I didn't know, you know. But we also had, you know, signalmen, skivvy waivers, and, yeah. and torpedoesmen's mates. So I mean, it was a whole bunch yeah. of different. In, in retrospect, it's quite amazing. In, in the middle of it, it's very painful <laughs> and very stressful. Um, but they basically take someone who knows who has engineering aptitude, mm-hmm. and they shove so much information and they can safely operate a, a nuclear um, propulsion plant Wow! in two years. Wow. And so I, um, I was a Navy certified nuclear operator mm-hmm. at 20 and couldn't drink publicly. You didn't miss anything. Yeah. But, but I'm saying, you know, I, I couldn't, I wasn't that milestone of age. Mm-hmm. That oh, you couldn't drink because you weren't 21. Couldn't drink because I was, Ah. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't 21. I couldn't drink in public, and so, but I could go operate a. You know, yeah, you could a run. You could run a. You could run a reactor, yeah, and yeah. you run a carrier, correct? I, I, I got assigned to a carrier. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be on on a subs, and I, I wished I asked for a West Coast assignment. The schools were all back east, and I got a carrier out of um, Everett, Washington, mm-hmm. and I did 
Now, which carrier years. were you on? I was, I was on the Abraham Lincoln. Okay. I don't know if they're still on the West Coast anymore. They mm-hmm. might have gone back for major refueling or something. Um, I did that, and I was there. And there were several, several things you learn and several people that influence you. And there were people that liked it, that wanted to stay, and there were people mm-hmm. that wanted trying to encourage you to stay. And there was um, a career counselor who, for the department, was like, hey, you know, I was like, you want to stay or not? And I was like, not really. He goes, well, then what are you doing? And what do you mean? He goes, set yourself up. Learn everything you can while you're here. Mm-hmm. Get the certifications. Do the stuff. You can set yourself up or you can do this for four years and go work retail. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. And so while I was there, I. And you, you, were, you, were you in a six year or an eight year enlistment? So mine was six. Mine was six. Because it's two, two years. years two years. Of, active. No, it's two years of school. Four years of active, okay. and then two years of inactive. Two years of inactive. And, but I could do my delayed entry as part of my inactive, right. so I only had an extra so, year. So when I joined, it was still it was a six-year hitch yeah. total. So mm-hmm. I did a three-by-six, which, yeah. was, which was three years active, three years reserve. Yeah. And then, um, then I did a 90-month extension in the middle of that and extended it to five. So I did like eight years, nine months. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a nuke. No. So, but <laughs> it was what a it, total different. What it meant was, you know, I qualified. I was one. Of, one of my skill sets was understanding and relating the knowledge that was presented mm-hmm. from a practical standpoint. I suffered through book learning and just trying to absorb all the concepts because I apply them, and that's how I learned. So once I got to part of the training phase, we learned how to qualify a watch station. Mm-hmm. Learned how to. Then I was. I was ahead. I qualified first. I, I, I qualified faster than the honorman from the power school class of my rate. Wow. Like he was bitter. Wow. <laughs> and, and so I got to and the so, carrier. So explain to the listeners that, that uh, in the Navy, once you, once you have these watch positions, and in, and in Sean's case, it's the engineering, it's the folks who run their reactors on the carrier. And I was yeah. on, a cu- on a cruiser, and I, never, yeah. and I never knew much about the nuke side of the house. But, but you, in order to be... A watchstander, you have to go through all the PQS, all the qualifications right. to do that. And then you were an EL, correct? An engineering I, officer of the watch I, or a, G, a junior? I was a propulsion plant watch supervisor when I left. Okay. An EL or a um, watch officer is an actual officer. Those are all going to be commission or, officers. Or um, rarely they'll have a watch officer be like a, a chief. Okay. But the it's the enlisted half. So the the watch officer is responsible for the plant and the operation of the reactor. The watch supervisor's responsible for the watch standards so got it oh so you were overlooking all the people who were out, running all the outside in the spaces the it. main spaces turning valves doing stuff you're supervising every evolution and that's that's on a reactor yeah <laughs> wow on, on a propulsion plant i mean a reactor is just at a, basically just, just a hot your, rock your, that makes steam yeah. yeah oh yeah and so so at first step though was i qualified an operator position an operator position is you you're sitting there you're operating the equipment you're taking logs something goes wrong you have to you know inform the rest of the team and then shut off whatever it is or bypass Mm -hmm. whatever and you're part of a war machine so it's not like you can just be lackadaisical right Right. it's very serious and so and then once you qualify it you're noob so you have to practice it practice Mm -hmm. it to get good so starting out not as good three years four years later pretty good Mm -hmm. Because um, just you're practicing and you're spending five hours or six hours a day, sometimes on a rotation doing that, you know. So I qualified uh, what's called a, a switchgear operator, and um, 
I also ended up becoming a work center supervisor mm-hmm. at like 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. So I had I 20, 22 electricians assigned <laughs> to me and I had an assistant and we wrote the maintenance schedules because in mm-hmm. the in the military, right out here, you have people that, that operate a, a command center, security guards, whatever, you know, and you're part of the repair crew. And mm-hmm. there's usually a facilities maintenance crew. Well, that's, you're all of that combined in the military. So I was used to doing. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. yeah, I was used to doing maintenance. I was used to having to deal with people' personal problems, operating it, and, and then operating it. You know, and you know, and then it becomes a well. You break something. Well, you're going to be standing there fixing it too. <laughs> yeah. So it was real. And, and you're thousands of miles out to sea. Yeah. And the repair part's got to be flown in by God. So yeah. you know, you're like. Well, and so I did that. I did. I, I was a work center supervisor. I moved over to the supply group in that department. Mm-hmm. So I was the guy that would find any part on the ship that we needed for the reactor department. I would get stuff flown in. I would report directly to the 06 department head mm-hmm. um, as a, anyway. So oh, that's a, right. You would have a captain as a, yeah. as a, as yeah. a department head. So your answer, your chief, your chief engineer on a carrier, is it usually a captain? Uh, the Chang is a commander because so there's a chief the engineer. There, there's a chief engineer oh. and he does just engineering, which is the rest of the ship. And then reactor department does the propulsion and okay the power generation and stuff. And so I would end up once a week as an E5 mm-hmm. enlisted second class in a meeting with a bunch of lieutenant commanders and the captain. And I was, here's where we're at the parts. Here's my CASREP list. Here's where we're at. I'm having some trouble with SUPPO. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to sign the paperwork, even though you give me your signing authority. Would you have a chat with him, please? And oh, he did, um, which is a lot of power to give a 22 yeah, year old. Um, and so, but, but you know, it was also training the new the next gen. It was mm-hmm. it was teaching them. It was look, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. Here's well, how this well, works. Don't, don't reactors just operate themselves? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe in the civilian world, I don't know. Maybe in the movies. But I mean, and it's also a lot of stress. It's a lot of it's 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 it is such an important job, and there's a lot of oversight. Well, a lot I know of people, in, in on my ship, yeah. they, they had uh, drills. Day, reactor reactor scram drills and and yeah. some sort of casualty drills yeah. daily and it was such a common occurrence yeah. on the Truxton that that you 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 didn't know what was real you didn't know what wasn't real yeah the guy had was completely monotone when he talked there was no emotion in their voice you get, so you get and used it was, to it. yeah and it was it was very yeah you know you, you every and and you knew it because yeah. you always train like you fight right so yeah. so you you're always prepared for it but. Uh, you know, my world was topside, so I didn't know right. what was going on but, with reactors. All I knew is like, uh, mm-hmm. they're going to cut the power off, kill our equipment. <laughs> you know, that's really, yeah. That was my, my there, whole shtick. But there was there was so much of a, and rightly so, mm-hmm. in many ways, and, and a microscope on you. Logs needed to be inspected, and, and, and third parties came out and checked and drilled you and checked you on mm-hmm. your knowledge. You don't, I mean, as much as I hated it, you don't want to skimp on that. Right. right, particularly when the the average age of your nuclear power plant operator is twenty two, right? Oh, man, and so I just never really and, thought about. And, that. But, but I mean, and we're not talking like the EO. We're talking like the yeah, guys out the there guys turning wrenches really turning and, the, yeah. and cleaning the valves yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and and a lot of the 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 people that did stay, they became the EOs. They became mm-hmm. the the lieutenant commanders. They interact with. They would do twelve or twenty years as enlisted were senior chiefs and they went over and, and put on bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of people with a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience overseeing this larger group of people. It wasn't like, you know, the, a bunch of idiots or anything. I mean, oh, it was, yeah. 
and and, and it but it was so stressful and so unpredictable mm-hmm. in terms of it's, it's hard to build a life on that and so i did my six mm-hmm. when they asked me about it and i said i politely decline and i decided i didn't want to do nuclear power and I've so you didn't the, want to just jump out and go run nuclear pants like. no no i mean if it's a scrutiny is the same mm-hmm. right and again rightly so yeah. you know if you get careless you have a place like chernobyl that's contaminated for tens of thousands of years yeah. and people die really horrible deaths yeah. and they have That's these true. plants out in the midwest in the middle of like cities like yeah you you better have yeah. you better have that oversight you better have a good training and retention and whatever model like I, I i just felt it wasn't for me and i'd lived now after leaving portland i lived on the east coast in the south and mm-hmm. i'd lived in upstate new york and then i'd lived in Washington and I, I traveled on the ship. I saw, you know, Singapore, saw Australia, Hong Kong, saw Bahrain, you know, and, and while that's a pretty small sample size given the rest of the world, mm-hmm. picking a place to live, you know, stateside, I decided I just want to come back. Yeah, that makes sense. So I stayed with some family um, after I got out and started looking for options. I was going to use the money because originally the money was going to be the GI Bill so college. The new GI Bill. Mm-hmm. But, but this was before the new GI Bill. This was just the Navy college. So you got in between Veep yeah. and the GI Bill. Yeah. Yeah. I got in under Veep, which yeah. I don't want to talk about that. That was, <laughs> that was so, an ugly scene. So I was, I, was, I was a hair's breadth away from signing up for community college. I was looking for work. Every place that I interviewed turned me down because I had too much on my resume. Wow. And I ended up putting in an app to join a, a specialty firm, like to, to be basically a headhunting firm that specialized in, in placing former military. Mm-hmm. And they would go out to tech companies or whoever and invite them to a job conference where you could do just like speed date interviews. Yeah. And so, and, and, and the first two days were just like, here's what we do, here's how we do it. And then consulting with us, kind of like... <laughs> You know, and it's irritating because it's, you know, some people have the elevator pitch and all that sales mm-hmm. garbage. This is how do you take someone who's been reprogrammed in using naval terms or military terms, make their experience relatable, particularly without any cuss words mm-hmm. and fewer acronyms. So you've like two minutes to explain yourself, go. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Here's why. How would you rephrase that to really mean that? Mm-hmm. And so there was, it was some work group together. And then the second or the third, you were fourth, working for them. You were using their services to yeah, get so, placement. Yeah. Okay. They get their fee from the company that hires right. you, right. As a finder's fee. So they're investing in you. Mm-hmm. And, um, I sat through, I had four interviews scheduled. Uh, one was with a company called Genie Corporation. They build uh, mobile work platforms and stuff. They're looking for someone to help do maintenance in their renting plant. Another one was a company called Vestas. They're a big global oh, yeah. wind turbine yeah. company. Yeah, They're huge. looking for people to, um, another one was, uh, um, there was a Hyundai plant. No, there was a, a, a Korean chip manufacturer, Eugene. Mm-hmm. It wasn't interested in the, and then they had two uh, fire and security companies, one called Convergent Technologies. Mm-hmm. And um, the oh, other, that's a small little company. A small little company. <laughs> and the other one was a company called Siemens. Yeah, they're another small they're little small concern. Yeah. I had not heard of either of them. Well, I, I had I had neither until I got in the industry, and yeah. then you realize that these are behemoths. You oh know? yeah, and 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 the the guy that interviewed me for Convergent, which you should look at getting in on, is a guy named Mario Godone. Oh, I know and, Mario. And yeah. he was he he's was, a good guy. He's a great guy. He yeah. was 
he was sitting there. We're just talking the high levels. He's talking about the companies and he's still interested. I'm like, sure. Like whatever. I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And, and then I went to the next area, which was uh, Siemens and it was a guy named Doug Green mm -hmm. and a guy named Nick no, McClarity. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, they liked me and, uh, the Siemens people were the one that followed up. I canceled the Genie one because, and I met the Genie guy later because I knew Chris Anderson and Terry Lockshire and a whole bunch of guys that were electrician nukes with me Man, on the you boat. Get a, good, get a good memory. You know, wow. those, I mean, you can't forget a whole lot of that. Yeah, yeah. And so those guys had all gone to work for Genie. Uh -huh. So I heard it was a good place. I just didn't want to move to Renton after moving down from Which from makes Everett. sense. Yeah. And, and having lived up there and yeah. and done time out of it. I and mean, you're like, yeah. yeah, that's, you want to be back in yeah. Portland. So the guy's like, yeah, I canceled the interview with you. He goes, why would you cancel? And I'm like, well, I didn't want to move there. And I know this guy and this guy. And he goes, you know those guys? I'm like, well, that guy worked for me. Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then Vestas, they were looking for two types of windmill technicians, which A, I would have been a bad one because I don't do well with heights. I mean, I'll go up there, but I'm not looking down. Um, and the second one was they had two technician mm -hmm. spots that they were looking to hire. One's called a domestic technician and one's called a traveler. The domestic technician could go anywhere in the States at the time. This was their explanation for up to 30 days. Mm. The travel one could go anywhere in the world up to six months. I'm like, I've already done that. I'm, yeah. I'm really not interested. I, I could do training. I could teach your, yeah, your end users still, to operate and, your winter. I, I met a guy who did that. He he actually apprenticed yeah. with one of the companies. I, I think it was G he apprenticed with to yeah. do that. And he had to climb yeah. the windmill. Yeah. And he goes, and the first time you do it, it's really, really cool. And he goes, and then you, after about the 30th or the 50th time you've done it, mm -hmm. and you realize that this is going to be all you're going to do, he, to him, it was yeah. just not his cup of tea. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, well, you know, and, and there was always a guy sitting in the truck at the bottom waiting. I mean, there's always somebody, there's always ground support for stuff right. like that. And then he explained, you know, how the things worked. And it was it was amazing. And I thought, you know, I could see where he was, you know, he, and he, he was super glad he did the apprenticeship mm -hmm. because that was like a 60-day trial to see if you really had what it took yeah. to, to, to do that kind of job because mm -hmm. you're always climbing and you're always in... Oh, you know, you need a tool. You're gonna to go back down. Yeah. There's no elevator. Turns no, out, right? No. I mean, and 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 I salute those that do that work. It's oh, just I, not for I, me. that is that is uh, yeah. that has got to be. Yeah. You've got to be one in shape person to be able to do yeah. that. Yeah. So when I sat with Siemens, they 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 called me back for a second interview at their shop, mm -hmm. and I sat down with the ops manager and another general manager, and I surprised them not necessarily in a good way either because they asked me where where i was going what i was planning to do and i was like look i've been military for years and you know that's a 24 7 job and no overtime mm -hmm. give me a 40 hour a week job doing whatever you need me to do i'll learn how to do it you know because that was the other thing is i had the confidence whatever you you know how to do that well i can learn how to do that yeah and um i did all that and I sit in the interview, and they're like, what do you see yourself doing in five years? And I basically say, look, I don't really know a whole lot about this industry. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just here for work. You hire me to do a job. And so that was basically 2005. That was 2005. That was, that was August of 2005. And one of the guy's jaws just dropped. He's like, what? I'm like, I'm serious. I, I'm, I'm here to work. Happy to do it. Mm -hmm. Whatever you have, I can learn how to do it. But I don't know what that means for five years from now. What? And he goes, oh, okay, um, what if you learn a bunch of stuff, maybe you get more towards an engineering position or something? I'm like, sure. Like, I, as long as it's 
work that at the end of the day I can I can put away my tools and I can go home and eat eat dinner I'm I'll do it hmm. and uh, no. and 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 so I uh, I, I I they they offered me a job as a security technician mm-hmm. security installation technician like the entry level and they said you have to go get an LEA you know we'll facilitate and it was called it wasn't IEC at the time it was uh, ABC. Oh, but it, but it was yeah. still Eva size love. No kidding. She was still there. And I asked about, and that's when I met Dave Gilson in the second class. Frank, what was Frank's last name? He was with Diverse forever. Cough, Canfield? No. I don't know. Anyways, Frank gave the first intro class about mm-hmm. different verbiage. And then I went to Dave's class, Dave Gilson, mm-hmm. and he started reading from the book about the basic electricity. And I, I suffered through exactly precisely one class, and I went up to him and said, look, uh, just so you know, I'm, uh, my background is probably close to that of electrical engineering. I could teach this class mm-hmm. without a lesson plan and any lesson aids what you're doing. Is there a way I can, like, challenge the class or take I, a test? Make comp out of this, you know, this please. section, please. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's like, well, you know, let's we could talk for the board and... and uh, and you'd have to explain, you know, your background and we can, we can look at maybe that, but why don't you move over to my communications class? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And so, and I ended up going back and detailing out the amount of hours I worked like on the ship and getting mm-hmm. an old chief to sign it. And then I sat before the IEC board and they asked, you know, in retrospect, some very good questions about fish and wire through walls. You don't right. do that on a ship or yeah, stuff, stuff that it, you knew that you knew that they, that we didn't know. Cause I, I kind of did had the same yeah. experience where I was like, I went he said, well, you've got enough to qualify to take the test. This is a JLA. This before yeah. it was an LEA. And I'm like, okay, great. What am I, what am I doing? And and I knew obviously the theory and a lot of the other stuff, but yeah. I you know, you should see it, me bend pipe. I mean, I can't, I can't bend pipe to save my life. I yeah. hire that out because yeah. you know, it's, a, it's, I, it's, I not, to, it's, it's ugly. I it's went to good. bend pipe the other day in front of uh, one of the apprentices, Doug Bond. Mm-hmm. And he verbally stood there and cringed. And then he said, boss, 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 here, let me, let me, let me, yeah. and, yeah. and I, and I, and there are I, those who can and those who don't, well, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big thing when I was an LEA tech for me right. because of the parts and smarts industry, which I'll get to in a minute. It, and then when you're doing turnkey and you're doing small stuff, it is a much bigger thing, yeah. but it is part of the license. And it is it is a hell of a skill. It really yeah, is. It is. I, I, but, I certainly appreciate those who can yeah, do it because I I'm in awe. Yeah, but I've been I've held a PM position now for for six years. Mm-hmm. And before that, I was a designer, so I was behind the desk piloting AutoCAD. And then before that, I was a tech. Yeah. So when you look at that, that's that's you know almost ten years of not so now, doing wait, wait, that. Wait, so you went into security, but then day one was fire. The position was for security because that's where they had room in their budget. Oh. And 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 first day on, I show up at the office, I meet the the boss, I'm like, hey, what's going on? They go, oh, hey, and, and the front light is just like, I've got his phone all set up. It's an AT&T or singular. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, no, no, he's going to Intel. Uh, so he'll need a Nextel. Should turn off that phone. And then he sat me down and I got to watch like two hours. Of, oh, so you went right into the, oh, yeah, right the into the, the three, right, right into ST3 right off the bat. And, and, and so. Wow. And and, and, the, so, and the toughest of the of the three, is yeah. my dad. Um, and so, I was handed over to a guy who who's um, his dad was in the industry, and he had gone to college to study history to be a mm-hmm. history teacher. And like his senior year, this the, that was what he told me. 
um, a bunch of school shootings happened and he didn't want to be a teacher anymore. So I went to his dad and said, hey, can you get me something? And they brought him in as a day laborer. And then he was trained and taught very slowly, uh, very um, detailed by um, uh, one Gary Youngberg, who mm-hmm. I think he'll be an upcoming guest. And, and so, and then, and then Gary decided to go to a different company. And so he was left with this bag of systems that he didn't know how and why Gary and, 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 and was it uh, two other guys that sort of set up all the, mm-hmm. all the structure and all the rule and why you do a thing. He was just moving it along and, and it was great. I frustrated the crap out of him by, uh, how does this work? Right. Well, well creation, what does that mean? Cause I was used to going down to the nano component mm-hmm. on, on a system. And he was like, well, you put the smoke head in and you throw smoke and it, it obscures and it goes off. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, what about the processor? Do we tear that down? Like, I'm used to having to do it all. No, you pull it out, throw it away, put a new one in. <laughs> and the first, the, the first couple of weeks, he's like, we're commissioning a building. I'm like, cool. What is that? He goes, mm-hmm. well, it's commissioning. And I go, remember, I'm, I'm new. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, okay, well, we'll go out there Thursday. He went out there and he had some paperwork and he had this little can of something I didn't recognize and a stopwatch. He goes, these are Vesdas. Like, okay. He goes, it's air sampling. It pulls air through this pipe and runs it through a laser chamber and measures smoke. If you get enough smoke, it goes into alarm and the building goes off. I'm like, okay. He goes, but we need to check to make sure that the smoke travels through the pipe within a certain time frame. Mm-hmm. So you, you do this and he holds up this can. I'm like, what is that? He goes, it's canned smoke. And I was <laughs> like, what? And you, you blow it and you hit the stopwatch. And when the, the head goes into alarm, which isn't totally accurate if you actually know the code now, but um, then you stop it and you log it. Mm-hmm. And all these all these data points have to be within a certain parameter of the sheet. He goes, I was like, okay, I can do that. And he goes, then you reset it and you do the next hole, the next hole, next hole. There's 14 holes in this pipe. And then you do every hole on every yeah. Vesda on every tool there. Well, and this was in a data center that was oh being built, my God. and there was there was fourteen Vesdas on the cooling coils, and then one big area Vesda uh-huh. per pod. There was two pods, and there was Vesdas upstairs. There was sixty three in the building. He's like, nice. do that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he walked away, and I came back to him at the end of the day. I was like, so I only got through twenty. Um, I guess I'll do more tomorrow. What do I do with this? He's like, you got through, let me see that. And you look through <laughs> I mean, I can follow direction. Yeah. Um, and basically they were going to send me, like this is September mm-hmm. of 2005. It was uh, September 23rd was my first day on the job. The following week I was paired with this guy. And they got back to me in like October. Like, hey, we're going to send you a three school in, in December. I'm like, okay. So you, you basically, you started in September and we're in, BST three school in, in less than December and in, in less and, than three months. And, and then I started classes for the apprenticeship in January because I'd be a part of that. <laughs> so, so the cart was before the horse, which, a little bit, which happens from time to time, from, from time to time. But, but I was it happens to so many people. It, it's not even funny anymore. It, I knew basic hand tools. Mm-hmm. I knew how to use a meter. I could, I mean, I could draw out a three phase distribution system God, I hope from you know memory. How to use a meter. Yeah. But I'm, but did you did you ever use a digital voltmeter voltmeter oh yeah a digital voltmeter in the navy I oh used yeah. one one oh yeah, we, I, everything else well, everything we, I used was Simpson two sixty everything we had Fluke seventy sevens we had Fluke that was the first that was the first and, one I ever saw and I looked at that like like my jaw hit the floor I said it tells you the voltage 
kind of magical tool is this? We still had an occasional Simpson for checking induced voltage. We, they only gave us Simpsons. That was oh, yeah. it. It was it was honestly the very last command I was at mm -hmm. on my third and fourth ship where I actually saw a digital multimeter. Yeah. And then and then honestly I would go, I'll take my Simpson. I mean we use differential voltmeters for oh, stuff, yeah. but. But I would always use, uh, I, mm -hmm. I just, it was so bizarre. And then now well, I, I wouldn't even imagine using well, an analog meter unless I needed it for the impedance. We, we had flukes for for the, the lower stuff, mm -hmm. right? And checking 480 and down. And we had these high volt sticks for the 5,000 volt stuff. Um, which, which would make sense, yeah. No, excuse me. And so the, um, I started there and over time I gradually did more mm -hmm. and more and more picking up kind of like what I'm doing with Jason Wells out at one of those job mm -hmm. sites and learning more. And then uh, I got credit for some of the hours mm -hmm. and about two and a half years in, they changed the four-year requirement for LDA to three-year. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I had my hours. I just needed to finish two classes, nice. which was codes and this a new OSHA class they'd put in. Mm -hmm. I did all that. I sat for the test um, in like uh, September after finishing codes in June, I did not pass the first one. It happens. You know, so I. It's a tough test. Oh yeah, I, I paid my fee, and you, got and my you, book and there's out, a skill set to it. finding yeah. stuff in the code, and, and, and you know, yeah, quickly. and refreshed it up, and then mm -hmm. I took the test again, and they said, "This is where it's funny." The state sent me a letter saying I'd still failed the first test. I had to call them like, "Hey, I know I failed the first test. Mm -hmm. I got the memo. I don't need to be reminded." <laughs> Uh, can I get the results of the second one? <laughs> and the, the lady at, at, the, at the building, uh, Tiffany, uh, she, she called me and goes, hey, I've got good news. Sorry about that. You did pass. Nice. And so I finally had a card-carrying LEA, and and I was still running work, and work was getting more and more, and I asked for an apprentice. They gave me... So you've been in the industry a year, just a little well, over a year at that point. Well, no, no in, in industry about two and a half okay, years. Okay, so two, two and a half, two and a half years. Okay. And and that was now. when when one of the main sites that support is the site Intel. They um mm -hmm. they were starting to do their first round of big builds in Hillsboro. Okay. And I was needing more and more people and and it's it's a it's a unique client and it is a very scripted way out there. And it has to be. Like yeah. nuclear power. Um well, so, so that you you could probably identify with the way that Intel operates. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because they're they don't well, they they absolutely well, don't mess semiconductor, around. Semiconductor, semiconductor in general mm -hmm. is a type of chemical plant. Mm -hmm. a very, I mean, just like refineries and other stuff that deal with high hazard chemicals, and you know, at Intel they take two things very very seriously. One is safety, mm -hmm. right, and the other one is value, right. So they right. so they were willing to spend a little more for the right value. But they have an unparalleled in my in my almost in my sixteen years of in this industry unparalleled um, safety mindset. Why? Wow. Yeah, I, I've never been to any place that was like 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 that. And so, any 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 nothing nothing in all my years of being yeah. in the industry compared to the way Intel handles yeah. what the and and they're and they're not in a hurry. No. Right? They're they're they would rather. Well, they, take they, their time to make sure that it's right so they, that no one gets killed. I mean, they, and you're dealing with you know hydrofluoric and yeah. The, you they know. they have a schedule to meet just like yeah. everyone else, but but they don't have a schedule that's done irresponsibly, right. and they don't tolerate you know safety no, and violations. And their competency, their their the competency of their of their yeah. staff there is yeah. jaw dropping. It's, it's like, amazing. Wow. It's an amazing place yeah. to work, and I was really. exposed to that in the industry start, and then 
um, as I got more people and I ended up sort of directing them, I mm -hmm. also wanted to take, you know, and start, I was bored at that point. And we had hired um, Gary Youngberg back. Mm -hmm. And so he got to see me as the field lead pushing all of his process that he had generated and left seven years before still in motion and okay. and then he opened the door further more teaching why things were done and it was uh -huh. just amazing to work with a man that had at the time 30 plus years experience oh, yeah. in the he's, industry he's he's like, and he's he, incredible <laughs> and now he's he's still in the industry he's got his 45th year yeah. and and he'll tell you oh yeah that came out from this or i used to do that i used to cut in sprinklers and that was it was amazing boost to my knowledge base and then he and i even to this day we collaborate uh greatly on means and methods and why and how to solve mm -hmm. a problem or what the details are um and and it's 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 still incredible he he left siemens not long after I did came to came to psi where i work today and he's still doing it and yeah. it's it's wonderful and so when he and you know, when he when he threw, when he talked about, you know, throwing his hat in the ring for teaching yeah. Fire Alarm, I, I, I was thrilled. I was thrilled because yeah. both of those guys now yeah. who are teaching Fire are both in ISF 4s. Yeah. They both have, you know, 45 like, years. 45 years worth of experience. Yes. And, and I'm like, okay, I only have like 27 or something like that. I will gladly bow out and let <laughs> you handle this because there's nothing I can't teach. I can't teach Gary anything about fire. That's ridiculous. And it's like, and the best guy for these students yeah. to learn from is somebody who is as passionate about his job as he is yeah. and as good. And, you know, and, and anybody, and I've always said this, anybody who can master the three can master anything. There's yeah. no PLC in the world you can't program if you can program a three. It's that complicated. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, like an yeah. EST3. I mean, I just, mm -hmm. I just yeah. uh, stand back going, I will... Yeah, I will bow and take my simplex training and go over here yeah. and work on a different system. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it's quite okay. And and I, I, there's no um, there's no doubt that that yeah. uh, I, I other than Morris, I don't know anybody else in that world who's who knows it like like that. Knows it from that level. Though. Knows it from I that mean, level. I mean, there's there's because there's there's the the applications and the development, but that only gets you so far. It's the practical going into mm -hmm. a system and finding how it's been configured and then detailing and that stuff out. Morris um, is one of those people. Gary's another one. Yeah. I'm a very junior member of that club. I, I tell I tell everybody, I said, I said, yeah. Morris is the best on West, East of the Mississippi and, and Gary. Gary's the best West of the Mississippi. Having Gary join a group was like a shot in the arm yeah. and it freed me up to um, go more into design. Okay. And so I was. Because he was back running, running well, the tech side. Well, it's more like he was helping support the apprentice teaching her how to do stuff nice. or the priorities here. I could still direct and out assignments, but then it wasn't just me having to drop what I'm doing and come show mm -hmm. them something because it was weird. Although that was still part of the job. I could do more AutoCAD work. I could do layouts and I designed um, a renovation and it was a it was a 16 node EST3 mm -hmm. with um, three Vestanets for two mm -hmm. buildings, including all the underground fiber and the head in and that. And it was a quick turn. It was um, supposed to be eight weeks it, it took me 11 mm -hmm. and it was still kind of rough yeah that's a lot um, of work that's a lot of work in eight weeks and i was not doing the cad i was uh -huh. doing i was just drawing it all out and i was handing it off to six cad jockeys that were just they were giving stuff like no this is wrong updating it all by hand handing it back it was the first time i'd done that mm -hmm. and then i had a kid <laughs> 
my <laughs> you know, well, my my daughter was born right at the end of that, and so I had to have someone else cover my work briefly while mm-hmm. I then came back, and then we built it. And then um, at the time they were starting this new design, it was design build. It was going to be a high rise. It was going to have a million square feet of space, but it was going to have factory. It was going to have a three thousand person cafe. It was going to have a four story atrium. It was going to have high hazard chemicals and high hazard acid waste and all in one building mm-hmm. and they needed a fire system. And this and this is is this our RA is RA four. RA four. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And this time the uh, management at the company decided they were gonna keep it all in house. They were gonna partner with a firm, they were gonna do this, we we're just gonna do it all ourselves. And that led to oh, a year of late nights, sometimes weekends, me and CAD, a couple other people, mm-hmm. them flying in people because we were in a bad contract. Yeah. And I was supposed to be doing that on top of managing the group as well, you know, and they had non-technical PMs come in and all this stuff. And that job almost broke me. It broke me of wanting to do design full time, at least mm-hmm. right now. Not like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's about, harsh. about four months into the construction phase. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they hired a, a guy named Ken uh, to be the new supervisor. Um, the, the original guy that had been my mentor, he'd become the PM, and then he'd become the ops manager for that group. Mm-hmm. And while he was while we were doing the design work, he got approached by Siemens Colorado to come run that whole district as mm-hmm. a super, like a zone manager or something. And so he left, and they moved the guy who had been the supervisor, who was a former PM, into that position who had already said he was leaving in a year or two. And that guy's mandate was to find a replacement. Hmm. And so we found a guy at JCI named Ken Ball. Mm-hmm. And Ken came in and was the supervisor and trying to get everyone, trying to just help get us out of these jobs. And he was a nice set for with 20 some years of experience. He used to write smoke control analysis mm-hmm. for like Rolf Jensen, I think was the company he worked for. So he knew smoke control. He knew all the parts and he could oh, spit yeah. the code. and. You know, and at the end of the job, he came up to me, like right as we were about to get occupancy, and he said, "You know, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this one because it was just it was such a mind blowing moment." He goes, "Look, the last six months working with you, it's been obvious that you have way more project management skills than these two project managers. Mm-hmm. So come Monday, you're going to be running everything. Those two guys will not be working here." And it was a Thursday. Yikes. It was a Thursday. Yeah. It's like it's like whoa 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 because I was a I was an hourly, mm-hmm. you know. So I get overtime. I was a tech. I had tools. I had all this responsibility, you know. And yeah, I could understand change, change management, and scope. But like, there was a lot to that to make that transition. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa we're not. I'm not just gonna just jump over. Mm-hmm. We have to discuss pay. We have to discuss lifestyle. I've been I've been ground to dust for two years out here. Like we know. Not without a discussion. Hmm. He said, you know what, you're right. We will have the discussion. And if we can't offer you what you need, then then you can, you know, we'll, we'll figure out what to do after that. But for Monday, I need you to be in charge. I will come out here, I'll explain to the crew that that's your role, you're gonna be doing the papers, and hmm. that we'll, we'll be figuring out. And then you and I will sit down with with the ops manager and have a lunch, and we'll we'll talk through what, what you need, just come prepared with what you need. Wow, and, and, that's you know, impressive. And, and I mean, he was a good boss. I liked yeah. him. Um, he, um, he and I worked together for, for several years after that. It was, it was 2015. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
and I obviously took the job as a PM. They, they gave me what I needed to pay, the, the trainings, mm -hmm. the things. And about that time, uh, Siemens wasn't able to really work on the Edwards platform anymore. They had mm -hmm. once been a vendor, were no longer a vendor, but had could keep their customers. And the jobs that we had built, because of how they were contracted and laid out, and they'd gone so badly, um, the, the Intel people were like, we, we have to diversify, right? Yeah. So at the end of all that, they came and told us they were bringing in Convergent to start learning how to Which work Which makes sense, because for, for those who don't know, Convergent's a huge EST. Yeah. It's a concern, I mean, and, huge. And, and I, was, I, was, I, was, I was not happy, because yeah. I just spent a few years Learning kicking. all that. Well, I just spent a few years, like, giving up long days and mm -hmm. doing all this stuff and having a poor work-life balance to just have it be, yeah, we can't just have you do it anymore. And, um, you know, took it in stride. And I mean, the writing was on the wall. Eventually it got to a point where EST was not going to, under any circumstances, support Siemens keeping out there. Mm -hmm. So I went to my boss and I said, and, and by then Ken had actually taken a job running the St. Louis branch or zone or something. He got a promotion and mm -hmm. moved back east. So I had a new boss who didn't understand fire at all. And and when you have a boss that's doesn't understand licensure, doesn't understand fire, doesn't understand the the, the scenery around and the building codes, it is a tough position to be as it a is, fire alarm yeah. PM. You know, particularly when they don't listen. Yeah. They focus on change management, they turn into their PM skills. And the details as a half watt, the details of the codes, the standards, the AHGs, that all matters. Right? Yeah, I would say they, so. And they were starting to flush that really badly. And after, after you know, giving it a year and having them do some rather, you know, um, bad things, I, and this is by now, this is you know, 13, 13 years in mm -hmm. at this one company after doing six years of the Navy and before that was high school. I don't move very often. Yeah, I'd, know, say, I'd say so. I, uh, I spruced up my resume and posted it on the, on the LinkedIn and actually interviewed with one company, and it was going to be a decent opportunity, but it was a little too less money. So mm -hmm. I ended up uh, having a headhunter find me. And I'd known performance. I'd, I'd bought parts from them for years. I knew mm -hmm. Scott LeClaire. I was one that recruited Scott to come to Siemens for a while, and then he eventually left. He came back to performance. Um, and, you know, I was I was un uneasy, right? Mm -hmm. And, and the, the first couple of interviews were kind of weird for me. You know, not going to lie, I was doing my best to, 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 to be well. And it turns out that Performance Systems had inherited the Portland Airport, uh -huh. which was a big system, a three-system system I had worked on and programmed. And they had inherited it from a service standpoint, but then they had to be embroiled in all this construction. They needed a PM. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, I could, I could help with that. Yeah, I can, I can come do this. And um, I also mentioned that I had some following with Intel. What I didn't know was that Intel had been courting PSI yeah. to do more work out there because when Siemens left, they were back down to one and they needed two. And they needed a back, they needed somebody else to, 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 yeah. to have as a backup. Yeah. And so, you know, two things happened in fairly short, or well, first of all, you know, any, anyone that's ever done and that's worth a darn as a tack mm -hmm. tells you a good metric of a company is the tack. Right, their attitude, what they think of the company, yeah. the environment you work in, you know, and that's why if you ever get higher up into management, whether you're a PM, whether you're an ops manager, a supervisor, or something, it is critical to sit down with your techs, you know, in a more casual environment, take them for a beer, have lunch with them, yeah. you know, 
and, you, you and, just, are, and you're and, good at that. I, and, you do that and, quite a bit. And 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 check in. What's working? What's yeah, not what's working? Happening? What what do you guys need? Because there are aspects of that job that are tough, but there are some things that are needlessly tough that you mm-hmm. can alleviate. You know, like we don't have anywhere to work but out of our trucks. Okay, well, do you need an office space? Let me go get you a laydown. Let me right. go get you this. Well, it's going to cost money. Yeah, I'm going to go spend that money, and I'm going to explain that to the management why it's valuable. Mm-hmm. And so, I called Jim Bramlage. Mm-hmm. Jim Bramlage, who who is, he is the service tech. I I, I the service tech, service tech. I mean, he <laughs> he is one of the most amazing, dynamic, nicest fellows I've ever met. He will go 180 percent above and beyond. Yeah. I called him up and I said, hey, you know, I'm in this room and, and this, this Andy guy is in this Dina person are trying to convince me that I need to, I need to do this. And it's, it feels a little salesy. What kind of shop is this? Mm-hmm. And, and Jim said, oh, it's great. It's great to take care of you. It's, it's the place to be. And that was kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll meet Travis. I didn't realize that Jim was the, was the catalyst that helped, helped oh, yeah. make the decision for you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's key, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at after being a long timer at one company, yeah. making a shift. You, oh, yeah. Um, and then, so I started and, and moved over and was, you know, making rounds, making introductions, learning the way the, the, the airport, I mean, I was good with the three. Mm-hmm. I was good with learning what had changed inside built headquarters building. I needed to understand all the contractual requirements and who, and, what, and, and, and those honor. are and those are nightmarish. And, and They're they, nightmarish. Out there, there they are yeah, horrific. They're horrific, and they needlessly horrific. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. And so, so, but I spent months getting up to speed at the airport, and uh, I fired off a note to to uh, not like friend friends, but the professional work colleague at, at Intel. Let him know I'd moved, mm-hmm. and then I was over here, and uh, he replied all. With all of his staff behind him, he goes, "Oh, great! Congrats! Uh, any insight on the new role?" And I said, "I'm running projects out of the Portland airport, and if uh, there's any work that PSI is hired to do at Intel, I'll be running that too." And here you are, and and that kicked off a, a storm. It, <laughs> it's yeah. a slow burning storm, yeah, but it's yeah. been a storm where, yeah. you know, a week after that, I asked, was invited to a walk to fix something. They didn't know how it worked. I was like, "Oh, I designed that one, so yeah, I know how that works." Apparently they'd lost a few of my records, and so gave them a copy, and and which was this is fine. It's it's kind of like a homecoming. Mm-hmm. And they said we want you to do more, and that was when you were yeah. where my boss I said, hey, if if, if we're going to be serious about this, I'm going to need a team, and they're going to have to want to work there, mm-hmm. right? So don't ask him with me in the room. Don't ask him with the service dispatcher or the other you know coordinators running projects on our own. Ask them. Yeah. And, and the one guy who who had worked with on a job, he wanted to learn it. And he is now the uh, foreman of a crew of three other people. And he is out there setting the schedule, doing some of the mm-hmm. politics. And he, he still has stuff to learn. Yeah. The other day I got called out there because they'd found an intrinsically safe barrier and they didn't know what it was. I've <laughs> <laughs> never seen that before. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a way to, well, it's, it's just a way to have a, um, a particular electronic component mm-hmm. in an area where it's class one, division two, where they could have explosive gases. You put this little safety barrier in. and uh, they So you don't detonate the room? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Good idea. And But it's not typical fire alarm, right? No, because it's, it's all super low voltage or yeah. intrinsically safe or yeah, yeah. in rigid conduit or whatever. Oh, yeah. it's And so 
So nowadays I've got, I'm having to really, I, I don't have that same flex on the, on the field in out at the airport and there's way more politics and it's way more shifting. It's not mm-hmm. as rigid because they don't have a centralized knowledgeable person in house about their fire system. Still? And, and the, yes, still. Wow. And, and they have people that are learning. Yeah. And they're, and it's pe- funny that, that, that the gentleman who did do that yeah. is now out at Intel. Now, now working at Intel. So yeah. you're either working at the port or Intel. Yeah. One of the two. You're not, but, you know, you're. Well, and, and, and in that first year uh, or so um, at PSI, there was this tendency of if you're a little slow and you're capable and there's an emergency, you jump on it and right. handle it. Right. And so I, I still have jobs. There's a high rise in Hollywood area that's still going through its own realignment. I still have that job. I still have a job mm-hmm. in Vancouver that I'm trying to button up because I'm having to build engineering resources. And it's 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 exciting because there's opportunity. It's a little stressful because there's a lot. Mm-hmm. But as a PM, you're supposed to try to figure out where every job's at, keep it on track, move the resources in, make decisions about what mm-hmm. you're going to fight. Some days... Um, you don't want to die on that hill. Right. You know, you're not going to go fight for it. You're just going well, to be like, whatever. I know, I know when you and I were working together closer, mm. um, you would come in my office and say, I need, and I would just occasionally say, do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Like, yeah. like if you have to come and ask me, I, the answer is already going to be yes. I'm yeah. not going to sit here and tell you no. Yeah. I mean, why, why would I do that? And, right. and, and my philosophy as when I was a manager was that the, the, that the, the, the technicians are the machine they're the machine that that do everything yeah. right so whatever the technicians need they need and there's there should be green lighted all yeah. the way and anything that doesn't green light it then yeah. i must i must somehow well, work around that or, or plow through it to well, make sure that they get what they need well the good manager is the the one that green lights the right things and investigates the I sketchy miss, things. I miss working with you, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I yeah. Really I, I, I miss working with you, too. It was, it was great. A, it was you know, fun. Well, I mean, but it's also sometimes it goes beyond the PM when there's a political aspect that affects the company business yeah. portfolio. Like it was um, it was like an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. They moved a panel from one wall to the other, and they had power supplies there that were feeding power to the board. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know that panel real well. He thought those were feeding security stuff because that yeah. was part of his background. So he didn't reconnect them. And the board gave like a low power failure, oh, like I it didn't have enough that. Yeah. Well, it was three weeks of fire watch for the site that that the, um, and we were proposing a new fire panel and oh, we found Romex yeah. underground that yeah. doesn't even meet code, all this mess. And it was for some customer, some big, big pro- private property customer. And you know they were like, well, we kind of want to be paid back for the fire watch because we hired this other company that knows that panel, and they came and hooked the power supplies back up. Yeah, they figured it out. Yeah, after our guy was, was really good technician, yeah. couldn't figure it out. And and it was a well, you know, I remember mentioning very specifically because we said, okay, we'll go talk to him. We didn't give him a yes. Mm-hmm. He turns right around and yanks on the saleswoman's chain saying he's going to pull his whole contract portfolio, yep. which is a dirt move. But I remember that, yeah. You know, which is scuzzy, but whatever. And at that point, it was, let's go look at what they did, mm-hmm. right? And then we went and paid the firewatch bill out of, and the service call for this other company out of like our, like a general bucket or yeah, something because it wasn't, it wasn't the sales guy's fault. Nope. Like he shouldn't be penalized, and yeah. the tech and the was, guy, and the guy, and we, I think we covered it. I think we we made that decision. Yeah, 
Within within about an hour yeah. of going out there, I'm like, we're done. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do but, we'll do what we got to do. But when it gets it right. beyond a PM and can have a tactical yeah. business portfolio, that's where you sort of have the top of your authority. You run the job best you can, mm-hmm. but if you're going to go down a hill, you should inform the guy you work for, <laughs> because if you piss off this contractor, this customer, or yeah. you're you're not above board in your choices. They could pull work from other areas. They could yeah. never want to work with you again. And that's a decision that's outside of the project. It affects the business and that goes above, right? And so, you know, it's it's kind of like when we come to responsible choices as a manager, you know, tech says, hey, I need to set up an office. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, we'll go out and get yourself some table and chairs or I'll go do it. Just give me a list. Mm-hmm. Because you need an office. That's a practical thing. When they come back and they say, I need a $2,000 espresso machine for my office. Then we got a problem. You go, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we'll give you a $60 coffee pot and some cra- some grounds, right? Mm-hmm. You want the fancy stuff, you go up the street out of your own pocket. And, and you know, that's a, that's a, just a huge example. But it's kind of like, you know, that, that manager goes, well, do we need it, right? What's the application? What's the return, mm-hmm. right? What? Yeah. You They're know? always looking for an ROI return okay. on investment. Well, and it's just responsible spending because one of the things that, that that you know, I can fairly say about as a contrast between you and Mr. Green, mm-hmm. is that he has more patience explaining to the non-technical management because eventually in any business, any business yeah. that gets big enough, you get high enough, and it's about dollars and cents. That's right. all they know how, and and that is its own trade. He was a master of being able to explain to the upper management. Yeah the needs of the folks below right. him and I was much more of a of a if you happen to question what I'm saying yeah then then we don't have the relationship that I yeah. need and and I and I'm you know I'm not asking you because because I've, yeah. I've been in the industry a long time and I'm if I tell you I need this yeah and you're questioning why I need this I'm questioning you know your well, your well, ability to understand why I'm here. Yeah. It, it really it, it was really a part of a, a part of the part of the reason why I I chose to to leave and go back and be a yeah. technician was because I went I went I'm either good at what I do or I'm not. Right. You know, and I either am either going to be understood or I'm not going to be understood. But yeah. I, what I'm not going to do is can is is to fight is to fight 360. Yeah. Right. 360 degrees and. In three dimensions, like that's just that's just yeah. a non-starter for me. And and it's some and the thing is is it's is that some folks like like and you're a good example of that. You can stay in those positions mm-hmm. and uh, make headway. Where I, I just I just got I just yeah. get to the point where I'm like this yeah. is this is so frustrating on so many levels that yeah. that it, it isn't it's no longer fun. It's yeah. it's like I it's think just I, stress. it's just stress. Yeah. And you know when you went to Intel and. Uh, and worked as a tech, you know, yeah. and, and still when you go back to Intel, you go to the port and put on your tech hat and and act as a tech, you you immediately sh- you you shed all of that, yeah, all of the project management and all of the design functions and yeah. all of the stuff is going at home, and you put your tech hat on and you go, ah, oh, you you just there's a there's a relaxing, yeah, I'm zen yeah. with what's going on and I'm I'm happy with it, and oh. and and then and then but then I get in that mode and I'm like. I am never getting out of Zen, and then you're able to go. Okay, I got to put Kate back on and go back to work, and I'm just like, I just want to be Zen for a little bit longer. Can you like just leave me here well, like, and forget I exist for a while so I can well, fix something? Because because it's tangible. It's it's <clears throat> tangible to fix a problem. Right. 
mm-hmm. look at the client or look at the technician and go, you know, this yeah. is solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to have to close it down here. Yeah. I do have a quick question for you, though. Yeah, what musical instrument do you play? I used to play a woodwind saxophone and um, clarinet and flute a little bit. No kidding. Um, yeah, I was in the jazz band, the concert band in high school. Wow. I haven't really picked that up since. I could still read, but the the muscle memory is not there. Yeah, like that's just mm-hmm. I, I I I never realized just how many musicians there were in this industry. And, and oh yeah, like there was like eleven guitarists when I worked at PSI. Oh yeah, I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I'm not. I'm talking three uh-huh. of them. <coughs> Three of them were, mm-hmm. um, I mean, mm-hmm. top-notch guitarists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of Jason Wells and, and yeah. Jim Bramlage are both just phenomenal guitarists. And then Andy plays. It's just like, what? And then and then I find out that other fo- other folks were players too. I just was, well, so, you know. And I'm I'm a huge ex. Uh, I I can't play. I just well, I just know when I what, when I hear it. What they had found is that people who study music um, end up having sort of a leg up in math. And it has I'm to do kidding. with time, tempo, and then fractions, and and you know like quarter beat, half beat. Oh, I did not know that. You know, and huh. so they, um, so if you can understand the concept of splitting a timepiece in half, the concept, mm-hmm. it makes the numbers and manipulating of those numbers, and then the notes themselves, part of that equation. Oh, See, I only God. got half of that because I I never did any formal like um, music. Um, like a music class where they mm-hmm. taught you all of the scales and why the, the fours and the threes and all. Like I was just going to a band and playing what's on the paper. That's nice. And well, so, Sean, I super appreciate you sitting down with me today. And anytime, anytime. I, I would, I would love to have you back at some point. Oh, yeah. I, I've got, I, I think I've only tapped about a 10th of what, of what I need to hear from you. So. Well, we haven't talked about uh, high temperatures affecting, um, affecting cladding of uh, fiber runs over roofs and how it can crash in the SD3 system it takes you here to find. Now see, I was just thinking about that. It was, it was, it was right on the tip of my tongue yeah. and then you gave it away. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much, my friend. Anytime, anytime. Thanks for listening to the Half Watt Podcast. We always want to hear from you, and we encourage you to email us at halfwattpod at gmail.com with questions or even your own stories. Funny, crazy, or praiseworthy, we want to hear it all. You can follow us on Instagram at halfwattpod to stay up to date on our feed. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share us with a friend, the best way to help us grow. The Half Watt Podcast is a production of Now Hear This Studios.